Well, happy 2024, everyone. Dave Sattler here, one of the pastors in North Shore Alliance Church, and I want to say thank you for joining us in person and for those who are watching online today. It's great to be together. Today, we launch our new preaching series, Lessons from the First Church, a journey through the thrilling Bible book of Acts. Acts tells the incredible story of how the church of Christ is born, how God empowers scores of ordinary people just like us to be his messengers and how they, in spite of strong opposition, spread the gospel throughout the ancient world to the capital of the mighty Roman Empire and beyond. The book of Acts offers core lessons in how to relate to one another in church community and how to engage in the mission of Jesus in our world. But most importantly, I believe that Acts offers us some boots-on-the-ground instruction on how to live and grow in relationship with Jesus. People of North Shore Alliance Church in 2024, I believe there's much for us to learn here from the story of the first church. Acts is written by Luke, and Luke is a physician. He's a medical doctor. He's a Gentile or non-Jew, and he is a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. The book of Acts is historical. It provides an accurate account of events, and 2,000 years on, we can say with a strong measure of certainty that our faith is based on fact, thanks to Dr. Luke's thorough and meticulous cataloging of our history. Not only is Acts historical, it's also theological. It helps us understand concepts central to our faith, like the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Acts also lays for out, out for us an ecclesiology, which is a big word for a little boy like me, but it is a word that describes the nature of the church and how it is to operate. And Acts is also apologetical in nature. It builds a strong case for the validity of the claims and promises of God the Son, Jesus. A master storyteller, Dr. Luke paints a colorful, dramatic scene after scene after scene, and his scenes feature interesting personalities set in places ranging from backcountry towns like Lystra to the intellectual center of the Greco-Roman world, Athens. And Luke is concerned mostly with documenting a sacred history, the remarkable birth and growth of the Christian church after the resurrection of Jesus. And we begin our study of Acts today with a look at Luke's prologue, the first five verses of Acts chapter 1. I invite you to turn there. There's Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. The words are also on the screen behind me, and I'm going to read them for us now. The first five verses, Luke's prologue in Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with the apostles, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Let's pray and prepare our hearts for the message today. God, we thank you for your incredible word, the Bible. We thank you, God, for guys like Dr. Luke, who took the time and were meticulous about writing down the history and our story. God, I ask now that you would come and move me out of the way and come and speak to us by your spirit. Spirit of God, would you apply the truth of your word to us today? Lord, as individuals, there's many things we need to learn and grow in. But also as a church, we ask God that you would come now by your spirit and speak to us. We are hungry to hear from you. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. A continuing saga. The sequel to Dr. Luke's former book, The Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts picks up where the Gospels end. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chronicle all that Jesus began to do and teach. The life, ministry, death, and resurrection of God the Son, Jesus. Acts covers the next 30 years after the Gospels. As one commentator puts it, the book of Acts was intended as an account of Christian beginnings in order to strengthen faith and give assurance that its foundation is firm. And Luke's sequel tells us how the salvation manifested in Jesus during his earthly life in a limited area of the world and for a brief period of time spread to large numbers of people in a wide geographical area over an extended period of time. Theophilus. The identity of this mysterious man has been debated for centuries. He's shouted out in the prologue of both Luke and Acts. His name literally means dear to God or lover of God. Was Theophilus Luke's patron, the one who financed his research and writings? Is Theophilus a made-up name to represent a general dedication to all Christian leaders past and present? Or was Theophilus a Roman acquaintance of Luke with a keen interest in this new Christian religion? I would say most scholars land there in option number three. I'm not quite sure. We mustn't underestimate the impact of the presence of Jesus with his disciples after the resurrection, providing many convincing proofs that he was alive beyond a doubt. This is a massive game changer. Yes, previously the disciples had been given front row seats to all the miracles and teachings of Jesus. Yet, even after the initial appearances of the risen Christ, still many of the disciples were far from convinced. Some even ran for cover until they'd spent significant time with Jesus. Enjoying a special kind of fellowship, sharing meals together, receiving teaching on the kingdom seems this key time in Jesus' presence, which Acts talks about in these first few verses, these key times transform the disciples from being scattered, fearful, disillusioned bunch to a fearless, confident cohort willing to risk everything. The disciples' initial unwillingness to believe was overcome by clear and repeated evidence over a period of time. And note the duration, 40 days. Just enough, experts say, for permanent habits to form. Don't run for the hills, Jesus says. Stay in the busy and dangerous cauldron of the big city. 
When your hearts clamor for the quiet and familiar spaces of your homes in Galilee, don't go. Wait here in Jerusalem, where the gift you've heard me talk about, the one the Father promised, the precious Holy Spirit, will come. I love it. I love how God, in the very location of the Savior's rejection, torture, and crucifixion, in the city where the disciples find themselves guilty by their association with Jesus and hiding, he commands them to stay right there, not run. And Jesus says, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost in Jerusalem would become the TSN turning point. And prior to this, in the history of God's people, the Holy Spirit was often conferred in the Old Testament, of, Old Testament upon artists, priests, prophets, kings, and leaders. However, 100 years before this, hundreds of years before this, Joel prophesies that God's Spirit would be poured out in a new and fresh way. He says this, and afterward, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. I love this part. Your old men. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to be 55 soon. Your old men will dream dreams. I can't. I love this. And your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And Joel's prophecy is fulfilled here in the story of the first church. You see, the book of Acts describes a revolution. As one scholar puts it, it depicts life in the disrupting presence of the Spirit of God. God is creating more than just a church out of this motley crew of Christ followers. He's birthing the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit is the midwife. And if it were up to me, I think I'd rename the book of Acts. Here's my name for it. The Acts of the Apostles having met the risen Jesus and now fired up living under the life-changing power and influence of God the Holy Spirit. That's what I would name it. It's a good thing I'm not naming Bible books these days. Well, it's time now to park the bus on some application points. Yes, you heard me right. Park the bus today, and it will become clear to you a little later. You'll have to keep listening. And I offer three thoughts for us today in the form of three gifts that God gives to his people. The first is the gift of his presence. The risen Jesus is accessible to all humanity. The prologue of the book of Acts paints an intimate picture of our Lord. The revolution that bursts the Christian church begins with Jesus' flesh and blood standing before the disciples alive and well on the other side of death. And in the days following his resurrection, Jesus presents himself to many people in a very earthy, real manner. To his reeling disciples, the act of sharing a meal together would surely have communicated to them forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace. All gifts from God still readily available today to you, to me, and to all humanity. And this illustrates the soft and very personal nature of the Christian story. Father John of Kronstadt was a Russian Orthodox priest in the mid to late 19th century. At the time, Imperial Russia was decadent, but also rotting beneath its own weight, and the streets of St. Petersburg were dangerous. Crime ran amok. Poverty was everywhere, 
Alcoholism was rampant. Prostitutes crowded the corners. There was no safe place. So most people who weren't part of that world didn't venture out into it. Most of the clergy at that time, used to a life of privilege and status, used what waning powers they had to insulate themselves from any of the hardship in the city. Not so Father John. His daily practice was to don his priestly robes and descend into the roughest parts of the city. He'd walk among the addicts and the thieves, the orphans and the widows. And he carried with him the love and healing touch of Jesus. Father John would find the most broken man or woman he could track down lying in a gutter or standing on a street corner. And he would cup their chin in his hand and lift their face so they were looking at him at eye level. And he would say this, this, Father John would say, this meaning this way of life, this means of survival, this condition I found you in, this is beneath your dignity. You were created to house the glory of the living God. The gift of God's personal presence is one of the greatest of all life's realities. That Jesus, the one who exists multiple dimensions above humanity, personally comes to earth to make himself touchable, accessible to broken, sinful humanity is absolutely stunning. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing compares to the gift of God's presence with us. And I've seen the presence of Jesus carry me through many hardships. I've felt God's presence carry me through losses in my life. I felt God's presence bring me through the consequences of my own sins and mistakes. Are you seeking and welcoming the presence of Jesus in your life? Sure, our church needs good music, teaching, pastors, people, and programs, but what North Shore Alliance Church needs most is the presence of the risen Jesus. And Jesus is still here today, moving in our midst. I've seen Jesus touching your lives, ministering to you, transforming you. Remember, you were created to house the glory of the living God. When we come to rely on the presence of Jesus, it moves us from being mere admirers of Jesus to true followers, disciples whose lives are sparked and led by Jesus. The second application point has to do with the gift of his indwelling. The Holy Spirit fills those who yield to him. Pentecost would not burst onto the church completely unaware. Acts 1 verse 5, Jesus says this to his disciples. He promises the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, Theologians have debated the meaning of this phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit, for a very long time. Churches have split based on interpretation of it. Now, I'm not sure that we can fully solve it today. I'm, sure, I'm not sure I can, but I will offer a few thoughts. First is this. 
God the Holy Spirit enters the life of the believer at salvation. At the moment of surrender, when we give our hearts to Jesus, when we ask Jesus to be our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. It's why the prophet Ezekiel says, says that God says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is the saving work of God the Holy Spirit called regeneration. And water baptism, the Christian act of obedience that declares publicly, I am a follower of Jesus, nicely symbolizes this cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. I believe next Sunday we'll have a couple of baptisms. Then after salvation, there is also the ongoing work God the Holy Spirit longs to do in our lives, often called sanctification. The Christian story doesn't just call for a one and done. I've prayed the prayer, and now I'm saved. I can coast the rest of my life. Well, you can, but you're missing out on a lot. The Holy Spirit who lives in every believer longs to further transform and empower every Christ follower in every generation. In fact, we can't do anything for God's kingdom on our own strength. All that to say, describing the baptism of the Holy Spirit perfectly is far less important than opening ourselves up or yielding to the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. The same promised Holy Spirit is still alive and well today. For those in the room who have invited Jesus to be your Savior, let me say, there is so much more God wants to do in you, with you, through you, should you choose to accept it. Now, I just want to say that if you haven't been living or yielding to the Holy Spirit, I, I don't want to say God is, I don't want you to feel God is disappointed with, disappointed with you. You might say, Sattler, I did not come to church to hear that God's disappointed with me because I haven't been yielding to the Spirit. I want you to know that God's never disappointed with us because God never has illusions of us, right? God knows who we really are, so he's never disappointed with us, right? God is not disappointed with you today. He just has more for you. Too often it would seem that the indwelling Holy Spirit is an untapped resource for Christians. Romans 8 declares, You, however, are not in the realm of flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit is our very life's source. We are invited into a journey of transformation under the guidance and power of his Holy Spirit. But you see, God is a gentleman. He doesn't often bust his way into our lives without our first surrendering to him, being willing to cooperate with and yield to his work and his will. It's why I pray this simple prayer every morning of my life. God, fill me with your spirit for life and ministry today. The lesson the book of Acts demonstrates wonderfully 
is that Christianity is primarily supernatural. You say, duh, Sattler, I came to church to hear that. It's about God doing amazing things amongst his people. As the apostles yield to the Holy Spirit, crazy, out of this world, stuff shakes down. While they're praying, the Spirit breaks out with tongues of fire and 3,000 people get saved. Another time when they're praying, the whole place begins to shake. And again, the Spirit fills them all. On several occasions, the Lord frees the church people from personal attachment to things and they give their possessions away to those who are in need. And the Holy Spirit radically disrupts the civilized social norms of the empire, fusing together Jews and Gentiles, nobles and slaves, men and women, old and young, rich and poor. God fuses them together by his spirit in deep and loving church community in Christ. And I wonder, how can we make the Holy Spirit more welcome here? What would shake down at North Shore Alliance Church if we became more reliant on the Holy Spirit? If we were more yielding to the Spirit's movement in our hearts and in our church, what exciting things might happen here? Third and final application is this. It's about the gift of his mission. God still invites his followers to be part of his exciting work in the world. The key verse of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we'll be looking at that more in depth next week. And in this verse, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In less than three decades, the Christian church spreads from a small ragtag bunch of disciples huddled in Jerusalem all the way to Rome and beyond. It happens against all odds and in the face of tremendous opposition. The truth is, the mission of Jesus in our world is absolutely unstoppable. Still, it can be quite easy to forget this some days, especially here on the West Coast where sentiment toward the Christian church in our story isn't exactly positive. Following the Prompting of the Spirit to step out and to be bold about our faith here in Vancouver is not often well received in our day. It's safer to clam up, to never say anything, or simply keep our Christian convictions to ourselves or only vocalize them at church on Sundays. A most memorable sermon of mine took place on a steamy Saturday night in Cuba on a missions trip I was leading back in 2018. I was preaching through a translator, and about 10 minutes into the sermon, no one, and I mean no one, was listening. All heads had turned to the back of the church where a bus was parking. There it is. A bus was parking full of people apparently beloved to those who were at the service. The host pastor then politely asked me to stop preaching while the bus emptied to thunderous applause. And seconds later, they hit the music, and a glorious dance party broke out. And our entire team was dancing in a giant conga line throughout the pews. There was a profound spirit of celebration in the air. Even Gary Watt was dancing. I saw him. <laughs> later, we were told the whole story behind it. 20 years prior, back in 1998, a local underground alliance church 
was meeting in Cuba, and that included some of the attendees who were present this night 20 years later. They were meeting for a church service, which was illegal under the communist regime. And while they were gathering, they heard a rumble outside the church, the building where they were meeting. And a fleet of state government heavy-duty vehicles was at their door set to bulldoze the building. But the people, including Pastor Joel, clung to the pillars and rafters of the church, refusing to vacate or cease meeting to worship Jesus. And the communist trucks were forced to retreat. 20 years later, here we were holding the celebration of that day, praising God for helping the Cuban church to thrive despite tremendous opposition. Definitely worth interrupting the sermon for a dance party. What an honor to be asked to preach at such a celebration. You know what my sermon was on that day? Acts chapter 1. And after the dance party, I did get to finish that sermon. I was even asked to start it again from the top. I was surprised. (laughs) Our church vision, North Shore Alliance Church, is for the global mission of God. The book of Acts is a timeless call for Christians to join in the mission of Jesus in their day. I appreciate the way one commentator sums sums up the book of Acts. He says this, Acts is about a God whose weapon of choice is the divine desire placed in us by the Spirit. The desire of the Holy Spirit and following that can carry God's people a long ways. Buoyed by the presence of the risen Christ and yielding to the desires of the Spirit that God placed in us, in our day, we need Christ followers to step up, to pray, to serve, to speak, to sacrifice, to love, to be willing to go. In my nearly 55 years on the planet, I'm not sure that I've experienced everything life on earth has to offer. But the greatest thing I've experienced is God using me to minister to others and to draw people to himself. I never regret speaking up when the Holy Spirit prompts me. Two weeks ago, on our last coffee time before Christmas, our Wednesday ministry, I was on to preach. I've been extremely busy. I hadn't had much time to prepare. Plus, I was weary and battling this nagging cough. And when I finished the sermon and invited people to come for prayer ministry like we do every week, three of the people who came forward asked if they could invite Jesus into their lives for the very first time. Now, To be clear, I'd not given any direct gospel presentation, and not one of them came to me to lead them to Christ. God was moving so powerfully in our midst. After the Babylonian captivity, the temple in Jerusalem lay in ruins, and Zerubbabel was faced with the unenviable task of rebuilding it. And the prophet Zechariah encouraged Zerubbabel with these words, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And God continues to build his kingdom here on earth, now through his people, us, under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. We are all invited into the unstoppable mission of Jesus through his church. What a gift. And there's nothing greater to give our lives to than this. Amen. Thank you for listening. I want to invite the worship team to come and join me now here on the stage. I believe Jan and Val are over here in the corner by the exit. 
They would love to pray with you. If you come today to church with a burden, if you'd like God to give you a fresh feeling of his spirit, Jan and Val would love to pray with you, pray for, with, for you. Please feel free to sneak over there while we're singing. You could also go there at the end of the service. Uh, they would love to pray with you and pray for you. Let's stand now as we respond in worship to the message today.